Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Thank you, Grant. Um, I'm gonna be a little extra tonight and have two stands. <laughs> I know, right? I'm gonna try and, there we go, let's just go like that. Because I got, I run into the problem when I have a Bible up here and I'm holding a microphone that the pages like to do one of these all by themselves. So, <laughs> um, test one, two, test, test. Um, well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. That's how it was at, like, the church I grew up at, the evening service. Anybody had an evening service growing up? Yeah. Y'all grew up around here. Um, well, I am excited to be up here today. I'm excited to practice my notes in front of you. I'm kidding. I did practice plenty. Um, but uh, today is going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to try and not be so tied to my, to my notes um, and leave a little more, more room for the Spirit to move. Um, and so with that, um, if you've heard me preach before, um, yeah, you can probably bring the game back just a hair. Nice. Um, if you've heard me preach before, um, I've been working through this, this, this idea and framework of... of of framing what it's like to be a disciple, how to, how, to, how to be a disciple, right? And I've been using this framework of becoming more like Jesus by dot, dot, dot. It's very easy, uh, easy for me to think about how, how I can be like Jesus, right? Because to be a disciple means to be disciplined in his ways. It means to, to follow him, to imitate him, right? And so if we are following and imitating, then it's an easy way of how we can be more like him. It's a good, easy way to, to think about it. Um, and so, with that, I've got another one for us tonight, um, but tonight's going to be a little bit different. I'm, my hope is, is twofold. One is to dive into the Word um, and to let it speak to us and to change us, right? But then I'm also going to give you a little bit of behind the scenes of, of how, um, and some practices, some things that I can do that, uh, to help you engage with Scripture, right? This is a living word, and it's meant to, to read us as we read it, right? To let it, it says that the word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it pierces between our bone and our marrow, like it cuts to the very inner beings of us, right? And with something that powerful, it should create change, right? Like an arrow piercing your side, it should like make some change inside and outside. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was a weird image I just got. All right. So, uh, I've been working through the Gospels again, um, reading through Matthew and Mark, and I'm, I'm through Mark, and I was like, Lord, uh, if there's something as I read Mark uh, that you want me to, 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 to share, can you make that known? And so what he brought me to was not what I thought it was going to be. I actually thought it was going to be this story, and then he's like, no, go back two stories. And I was like, well, that's a weird story, and I don't get it. And he's like, exactly, let's dive into it. <laughs> and so, uh, so my hope is that I can give you some, some tools in your spiritual tool belt to... Um, to use as you engage with scripture, right? And then alongside that, we're going to read, let scripture read and change us, and then uh, we're gonna respond. Is that good? All right, so uh, just like anytime you read scripture, uh, let's start with prayer. God, 
God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you to be able to gather together, to be in your presence, to be in your midst, to minister and worship to you, Lord. We thank you for your word and this, this scripture, this, this tool and this, this living word that, that points us to Jesus, that is about Jesus, it's about your love for us. And so God, I pray that as we engage with your word, that it be active in our lives, that it be moving in our lives, that as we, we seek to know you and your word, we seek to know your heart, Father, that you change us to be able to listen more, to hear more, to tune in more to that, Father. Holy Spirit, come, reveal Jesus to us. We thank you in your son's name, amen. So, um, which leads me to the, I guess, the title of my message. Is it up there yet? Oh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I actually don't know what it, what, I mean, I gave the message, but I haven't seen the slide or anything. So go ahead and hit it. I want to see what, what Pastor Matt did. Becoming like Jesus by listening. That, nice, I like that. The headphones. Very, that speaks to me. <laughs> um, yes, today we're becoming more like Jesus by an easy one, listening. Okay, um, so we are going to be coming from the book of Mark. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter six, um, wait, eight. We're going to Mark chapter eight. I know. See, I told you I practiced this. Don't you know that? My Bible's even open to it. <laughs> Mark chapter eight. Um, I think I uh, I wrote it wrong in my notes. Yeah, eight, starting at verse fourteen. Kelsey, is that what you got on the slides? Right? Yeah. Did I? Okay, I sent it correctly to Matt. Perfect. <laughs> um, so as you turn there, um, I, I've been uh, going through uh, Matthew, Mark through the Dwell app and reading scripture, kind of going back and forth. But um, if you've ever done a reading plan before, it's really good. You should be in the word daily, you know, soaking it in, living in it, right? But complete honesty, it hits that moment where like you put it on and it just like is kind of in the background and you're kind of just getting through it to get through it to like keep up with the schedule, you know what I mean? Like that can, that, that happens, that happens to me. And I like, and it's not that I'm not listening and it's good that I'm still listening and having that, that obedience and that, that rhythm, but I could be doing better. You know what I mean? You've been in this place where like you kind of just hit the motions. Um, and so when you, I find when I do that, scripture feels dry to me. I don't get a lot out of it. And that's not because the scripture's wrong or not doing its job because I'm not postured correctly and I'm not engaging with it with my utmost. You follow? Um, and so we're just gonna do a quick uh, flyover and read the scripture and then I'm gonna give you some, some of those tools, uh, break it down, look at the context, that type of thing. Um, and then we're gonna go back through it again and we're gonna let the scripture read us, we're gonna listen and then we're gonna respond. Sound good? All right, so let's dive in. Mark chapter eight, starting at verse 14. My Bible, I'm coming from the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version, and mine's titled, The Yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. It says this, verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to bring any bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he, Jesus, cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They said to one another, Is it because we have no bread? And now becoming aware of it, Jesus said to them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have ears 
and wait, do you have eyes and fail to see? Do you have ears and fail to hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said to him, seven. Then he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the, re the reading of the word. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, thank you. Um, other traditions do that. Um, so let's put some context on this. When I first read it, I glazed over it kind of like that. And I was like, all right, that was kind of a weird thing. Jesus did a, did a weird like, watch out. <laughs> and then the disciples didn't get it. Like, you know, what's going on here? At least that's, that's how I kind of envision the story. Jesus being a little weird like that. Um, but let's, uh, let's look at context. You hear people talk about context, right? Like context is king. You got to know the context or don't take it out of context, right? We hear this a lot. And we hear it a lot because it's very valid. It's very good. Context gives us um, direction. Like you can't know where you're going if you haven't know where you've been. You've heard this phrase before. Um, context gives us the proper placement so that we can come to scripture in the correct way, right? And so we can zoom out and look at like the context of the scripture and be like, oh, okay, well, let's look at the whole Bible. Where is this passage, right? Well, it's in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. New Testament meaning it's after Jesus, right? So we get a little bit of bearings there. Um, we can look at what book it is, Mark. What do we know about um, the book of Mark? Well, it's written by Mark. John Mark uh, is his name. Um, and he was the follower of um, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on their missions. So he was kind of like the, the young Mark of like what young Micah is here. <laughs> um, and so he's the one who learned about Jesus from Paul and from the other apostles through his journeys and things like that. And so he was the one who wrote this. Um, the book of Mark is the shortest book written uh, and it has the fastest pace. It's also the first gospel written. Um, uh, most scholars think this is because um, the other three gospels have the most copy and paste from Mark in their, in their books. So, it, so they probably had a copy of Mark next to it as they wrote theirs as reference as um, things like that. It was also written to the Romans, uh, the Roman Gentiles, as a way to, um, to, con to, to convince them um, that Jesus' death on the cross didn't actually negate his claims, but instead through his resurrection, his prediction of his death and his miracles, that they actually ratified the work of, of the cross. Um, and so that is, that's his, his, his audience who he's writing to, kind of like the pacing that we'll find here. And if uh, I suggest getting yourself a good study, study Bible, a lot of times before one of the books in the Bible starts, you can find everything I just said right in the beginning there, okay? They're pretty cheap. You should go get one. <laughs> um, or you can find it online, right? I mean, not saying you should go Google things, but it's, it, it's better than nothing. <laughs> um, what else can we look at? Well, we can look at what type of literature this is, right? Um, some of the things about, uh, I guess, about the Bible, there's three types of literature mainly, right? It can kind of be broken down into three categories. And the first one, the largest portion is narrative. 43% of scripture is narrative format. Um, narrative meaning story, right? And so what is, what is, what is story? What is narrative? It's, it's, it's how we think. It's how we engage with the world. It's like our natural way of thinking of how we exist in this world. We write this story. Like we are in relation to other characters and there's experiences and lessons to be learned and there's a beginning, middle, and an end, that type of thing, right? Like we, we, we not only think in this, and so that's why 
most of the Bible, majority, I would say, is written in this narrative form. Everybody loves a good story. Everybody remembers a good story. You know, it's, it's part of the reason we go to look at, like, watch films and you watch, like, a really, like, what's a really good film? A really good story, right? Something that draws you in. Something that, that makes you feel emotional. Something that gets your, your heart rate up. You know what I mean? So that's narrative, okay? 43%. Um, the next chunk, the, third, or the, the second type of literature is poetry. What's poetry? And this is, uh, um, I mean, it's fluffy language, right? Well, no, it's not just fluffy language. It's, it's <laughs> poetry is actually creative language used to bring us um, into new ways of thinking, right? It, it, poetry has this unique effect where it can take what it is and its words and its meanings, but it points to something greater. It points to something mysterious. It points to something greater than what it is, than the, than the sum. Um, and, I mean, I'm not a real like big into poetry kind of guy, but you know, most of our songs, modern songs are, are poetry, right? Like you listen to like some of those sad heartbreak songs, what does it do? It makes you feel really sad. Or you listen to that one phrase and it's like, oh, I don't know why, but I really resonate with that. Like that's, that's, that's the function and form of poetry affecting you, right? And so scripture has that, it has a ton of that. A third of scripture is poetry. So then the last portion is what's called, this is at 24%, so basically a quarter of the Bible is called prose discourse. This is a literary term for um, a logical flow of thought to give you, uh, to bring you to some conclusion, right? So it's like, it's like building an argument or building a, a um, uh, we, I guess we see it in scripture's letters, um, a lot of the epistles and, and the letters to other churches uh, or people, those are, those are prose discourse. Um, and so that's, that's a quarter, the logical kind of thought that we're, we're more used to, especially in our modern like, realm of scientific thinking and all that stuff, right? Um, so that's kind of where it is. So what do we have here? Well, we have a gospel narrative in specific, the gospel meaning the good news of Jesus. So it's, it's, and it's a narrative. It's a story about Jesus. We're looking at the story of who Jesus is, right? Filled with characters, events, and it's biographical. So this is like his life story, and, it, and this happened, right? Um, and so with, with knowing that, we can trust that these things happened. It was made for a, a specific reason to carry truth and to teach us who Jesus is. Um, so sometimes you actually get all three. It's not always clean cut like that. Um, sometimes it kind of weaves in and out and it's not like, oh, this whole book is this one type. Like I think of like if you've ever read the book of Job, like it gets thick real quick and you get lost in it and you're like, I don't even know who's talking anymore. <laughs> I mean, and sometimes you get like the, um, it's a narrative of Job, and then the character is speaking in poetry to build their prose discourse. You see what I mean? It's, it gets thick real quick, but it's all good. It's all good for us. Um, what else can we do to help get us some context about the story of the, the, the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod? Um, well, we can look at what, uh, what's referenced in the scripture, right? Like a lot of times in scripture, it'll like be, it'll actually quote previous holy books and scriptures, right? Um, and they're referencing things. Or like here, Jesus talks about the time that he, he, he uh, fed 5,000 people and fed 4,000 people, right? If, if you don't know what he's pointing back to, it's going to be hard to know what he means here. You know what I mean? So we can go back and we can see like, uh, at the beginning of this chapter of eight, he feeds the 4,000. You go back two chapters and he feeds the 5,000. Um, and so the, we, we, we know that these events happened recently, right? Give us some context. 
Um, what else can we look at? Well, we can look at also what comes before this story in Scripture and what comes after the story in Scripture, right? So let's do that. Let's look at what comes before. Uh, so this is Mark 8, going a few verses earlier, starting at verse 11. Uh, in my Bible, it's, it's titled, The Demand for a Sign. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And so he, Jesus, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. And getting into the boat, he went across to the other side. Um, I didn't know what that meant, to the other side. It means the other side of Galilee. I had to look that one up. You can look things up too. It's good to get <laughs> clarity on what it's saying. Um, but so, so well, I'll, I guess I'll come back to that. Let's look at what comes after, right? The next story. Uh, Jesus cures a blind man at Bethsaida. I always want to say Beth Bethesda. That's not it. That's actually a gaming developer. <laughs> if you're a nerd, you'll get it, and you'll resonate with me. It's Bethsaida. Yeah, thank you, Hamza. <laughs> so, 22. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, do not even go into the village. Now, the gospel writers, they arrange these stories in a specific order for specific reasons. They're building an argument. They're building a story. They're building a testament of the gospel to convince us who Jesus is, right? Or not even convince us, but give us the truth of who Jesus is. Um, and so we're going to read through it now, again, kind of wrapping this story in that context. And we're going to go through it again. Um, and I'm probably going to go through it slowly. I'll go maybe verse by verse a couple verses here and there, but you'll see what I mean. And, and really try and put us, since it's a narrative, we can really place ourselves in the story, really connect with the characters and imagine what's going on. Right? You don't want to imagine things that are outside the context of what the scripture actually gives us, but, but let's, let's live in it. Have you guys seen The Chosen before? If, if you haven't, one of the best things it's done for me is to really make Jesus feel like a person. Right? I'm not saying he's exactly like that guy and that actor, but it really began to put the flesh on Jesus for me to relate to him in a new way of being a person, of experiencing the same emotions I have experienced in life, right? And so my hope is that we can, we can tap into that kind of idea and, and, and look, at, look at the characters, look at the emotion, look at these real stories that happen. Um, so let's dive into it. One last thing you can do for uh, context um, is most of the Bible was written in Hebrew, Old Testament and Greek, New Testament. There's a little bit of Aramaic in there, but for the most part, it's Greek and Hebrew. Um, and you can go through and like really dive deep and look into all of the uh, Greek and Hebrew, but I'll save us from that for today. <laughs> um, but to help mitigate that kind of lost in translation thing, um, we can read the Bible in a different translation. So I'm going to turn over to the NET, New English Translation, read it a little bit differently or get a different take on it. Um, but I'm also going to switch over to Matthew. Matthew gives the same account of the story, but writes it a little bit differently, right? He had a different audience, kind of a different little flavor and flair, but it's still the same event. So we're going to look at it basically through another person's viewpoint. 
to help us gain a holistic kind of approach to the story and gain more context. Sound good? So this is going to be Matthew 16, starting at verse 5. Um, I maybe should have said that a little bit earlier in case you wanted to turn to it. But it will be on the Sky Bible um, if, uh, if you'd like. So this one is titled, The Yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Starting at verse 5. Now when the disciples went to the other side, we know that's the other side of the, Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee, they forgot to take bread. And Jesus says, watch out, Jesus said to them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Okay, what do we see going on here? Well, <clears throat> they forgot to take bread. Why is this important? Why, is, why, why are the writers including this piece of information? Well, they, they just saw the, the, the they just had the feeding of the 4,000, right? So maybe it's they had some, they leftover bread or they, they forgot to grab that or something. Or we know that, and Matthew shows us here, that right before this, there was a demand for a sign where the Pharisees approached Jesus and they're like, give us a sign. He's like, this sign will not get a generation, this generation will not get a sign, excuse me. And and it says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. He's hurt. Like he's he's grieved. He's sad at at the lack of belief and faith that these people are showing him. And it says he got in the boat. And so there's there's an immediacy of, he, he probably left at that time. He got in the boat and says, these people aren't receptive of me. We need to leave. And so I, I can imagine it's probably like this, all right, pack it up, guys. We're getting out of here, right? And they get in the boat, and they're probably like 20 minutes out, 20, 30 minutes out to sea. And then somebody's like, oh, my tummy rumbled. I'm getting hungry. You know, hey, hey, um, you know, John, where's that bread or whatever? You know, whoever's responsibility it was. And they find out they, they don't have any food, right? They got, they got one piece of bread. Maybe moldy, maybe soggy from being in the boat. Who knows, right? But the disciples begin to argue amongst themselves, right? You know, you start playing this blame-shifting game, like, like your kid's on a road trip and somebody forgot to grab the bag of snacks or something, right? Like, whose job was it? You know, why didn't you get it? Or there's not enough? Or, you know, like, this is what's happening, right? These, <laughs> with the disciples. And, and Jesus, though, still thinking about what happened on land with the Pharisees, he sees an opportunity to teach the disciples something, right? And so he says, watch out, beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, Jesus has this, this thing that he wants to teach them. He wants to show them, right? And in, instead, what, what are the disciples, what are they concerned about? They're concerned about food, right? And even when he says this, they kind of look at him and like, we don't get what he's trying to say. Is it and so what do they say? Verse, uh, verse 7. So they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, is it because we brought no bread? Like, they're so far off course of what Jesus is trying to show them, right? And it's kind of, it can feel, like, comical until Jesus, like, kind of brings the hammer down on them real quick, right? Like, what, is, what does Jesus say when, when he finds out they're, they're still kind of stuck on this bread? He says, uh, verse 8, when Jesus learned of this, he said, you who have such little faith, exclamation point, for extra emphasis, <laughs> why are you arguing amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand and do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you took up? How could you not understand that I was not speaking to you about bread? 
And so he repeats his, his, his message. But beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so, so Jesus goes into this like Socratic uh, uh, way of trying to show them something by asking them a whole bunch of questions that point at the same thing, right? How do you not understand? Like, do you not have eyes and see? Do you not have ears and not hear? Like he's saying, you have everything you need to be able to understand what I'm saying. Like, where's the disconnect, you know? It, 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 it feels like there's this frustration with the disciples. But I feel, but a frustration comes from a longing, right? The disciples just saw Jesus multiply the bread for 4,000 people plus women and children. And there were seven baskets full left over. And they get in the boat and they don't have bread and, and nobody thought like, oh, Jesus can just make more, right? Like they, they're not understanding, they're missing who Jesus is. They're not, they're not looking to what he's done and trusting that he can do it again. They're not looking at the power he's put on display and believing and have faith that he's going to take care of them. They're so distracted by, by their stomach, by the flesh, that they're completely missing what Jesus is trying to show them. Right? And, and so I can see Jesus having this, this longing. And, and, and these are his disciples. These are the people that are called to carry on uh, who he is, the work he's going to do. Um, the very, like, like the best news ever to the rest of the world, and he's trying to teach them something. What does he teach them? So what does Jesus mean when he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, yeast or leaven, it's what you put in bread to make it rise, right? So instead of like flat bread, you get fluffy bread. You know what I mean? And it only takes a little bit, and you work it into the dough, and it, and it infects, it spreads to the entirety of the dough, and just a tiny bit completely changes the consistency of what the bread is. It changes the, the, the form of it entirely, right? And so Jesus is warning them, so what, what would be this little yeast from the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, it would, be, it would be ways that they have held on to a specific part of scriptures and taken them too far and have allowed that to completely interpret and change what the scriptures, scriptures are actually about, right? Like the Pharisees were so concerned with the, um, the extra uh, laws of the Mosaic laws that, that they began to become super religious and they, and they began to live into this uh, works-based faith and relationship to the Lord that they were better and were more holy based on their, their works and, and obeying the law, or the, the letter to the, no, the law to the letter. There we go, right? And the, and the Sadducees, they, they, they didn't have that, but they were like, oh, you know, the Hellenistic uh, viewpoints, bring them in, like Roman, Greek uh, culture. Yeah, we can... We can mix these together and everything's fine, right? Like they, they, they let something in, they let a small lie in and it changed the entirety of what the actual heart of the Father was. And so Jesus is trying to train the disciples, like look, I'm giving you something incredibly important to take out into the world and I need you to be prepared. And so he's trying to train them up in that and they're like, man, I'm hungry, where's the food? Right? I mean, that would be frustrating. And so, and, and I just think of the disciples, like they're the ones collecting all the food at the end of it. They're the ones passing it out. You think that would like be a really incredible life experience that you wouldn't forget and it would be like on the forefront of your mind? <laughs> I'll come back to that because we're a lot like the disciples and we'll see why. 
in, 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 in both gospel accounts, Jesus is like, you know, how many baskets did you take up? Well, the first, for the 5,000, there's 12 baskets left over. And then for the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. Both meaning something, right? 12 meaning like the 12 tribes of Israel. Like there's, like God's taking care of all of his people, right? Like he is providing for all of his people. And then seven left over at the four, feeding of the 4,000 because seven is a, the number of completion, right? Of, ho, of holistic, or I guess wholeness, right? And so both accounts, Jesus is like asking these questions like, do you not get it? All right, fine. Let me take you by the hand and walk you through these things that just happened, right? And put to a very fine point of that you need to trust me, that bread should not be the thing that you're worrying about. Let go of that, trust me, and let me tell you again what I am trying to tell you, right? And so that's what we see Jesus uh, uh, doing, and, and Matthew's a little bit nicer to the disciples here. He adds one more verse there. He says, verse 12, Then they understood that he had not told them to be on guard against the yeast and the bread, but against the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew's nice about it. Mark, Mark is, uh, he does not paint the disciples in a, in a good light. He's kind of the harshest on the disciples out of the four gospels, but hey, that's us. So, um, so what about what came before, right? We, we, that kind of set the stage. Jesus is thinking about that. What about what came after with the, the, the blind man that needed to, to have spit in his eyes twice, right? Like it's a weird story. But look at what just happened. The disciples needed to be told twice, before they listened and understood, right? We need our eyes to be washed twice a lot of the times before we're able to see, right? And if you look at the other context that's around it, Matthew uh, doesn't have that story, but right after this, he goes into Peter's confession, and right after the healing of the blind man, or the, uh, healing twice of the blind man, Mark goes into Peter's confession, Right? Like it's, it's, it's leading up, and, at, and, and there's a hinge point in the Gospels where Jesus is recognized as the Messiah. Right? And so we see that like Jesus might have to keep making himself known and keep doing this, but he won't stop doing it until we understand, until we see. What else can we see? I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. That's how good I've been about not looking at them. <laughs> How does this apply? When we read scripture, there should be a response in us, right? If we're putting ourselves in the story, we're, we're building into this, and, and we should look to see, especially in like these narrative ones, God, who am I like? What lessons do I need to learn? What are you trying to teach me through this, right? Um, what time is it? Mm, yeah, we're good. Thanks, Pastor Matt. Um, I know. <laughs> what do we see? Well, we see that the disciples were not trusting in who Jesus is, what he's done. They're not getting in the entirety of who he is, and they're, they're not trusting that he's going to take care of them. And because of that, they're being distracted to where they can't really listen to what he's trying to tell them, Right? So how does this apply to us? Well, let's look at just the idea of provision, right? Like the, the Lord provi will provide what we need. Real example for me, like we got a baby on the way, right? Super exciting. And then after the excitement died down, ask Amy, it was like, 
I gotta, I, I, gotta, I gotta work more. I gotta go downstairs and build a new room in the house. I gotta like do all these things. And, and, and the, like worry and fear started to set in. And even still, like, like I have to catch myself from being like, okay, all right. The pregnancy's starting to affect Amy a little more. You know, she's gonna have to maybe go part-time. If she goes part-time, our, our benefits are tied to her work. So what's that gonna mean? We're gonna lose benefits. We're gonna have to look for that. And then she's gonna be working less. So then that means, you know, our savings is probably gonna dwindle a little bit, you know, then all of a sudden, like, the down payment we're saving up for is gonna have to be pushed back, we're not gonna be able to buy a house, and like, I start, like, just uh, spiraling in this worry. And I forget that the Lord has blessed me with a great job. The Lord has already blessed me with a great house that is equipped. The Lord is going to continue to do that. His hand is over my life, and he has me and my family in his hands. And so I get distracted by this, what's right in front of me, how I'm feeling. And I, my, I feel the need to go work more, to spend my time and energy there, instead of continuing to spend my time and energy pouring in to what the Lord has for me, what he's trying to teach me. Right? Instead of seeing it as an opportunity to trust more, I begin to just worry more and, and cave in on myself. This imagery has been really... Uh, uh, um, stark to me recently of how when we aren't trusting in the Lord, when we aren't seeking him, when we, when, when we are spending time with Jesus, seeking him, we begin to decay from the inside. We begin to cave in and really only get lost within ourselves. And we see this on a small scale of what the disciples doing. And by the way, bread should not be the spiritual metaphor that they get, like they don't get. Like, I am the bread of life. Jesus has said all these things, right? Like, like bread is the last metaphor that they should have missed. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not financial provision. Maybe it's provision of another kind. Maybe it's provision of a, a relationship or a spouse. Single people, let's talk real quick. I very much remember the longing in my heart to meet that one person, to, to stop playing the games of like, you know, worrying about how I'm coming off so much or just like not having my thoughts so consumed with um, where are they going to be? Like, what, do I got to get a new hobby so I can find this person? Do I got to like dress a certain way? Do I, <laughs> do I need to like, um, <laughs> um, you know, like, yeah, when you're in church, you shouldn't be thinking about what would life be like with that person over in that pew, or well, not pews, in that, in that seat. We should be thinking about what, is it, what would my life look like with Jesus, you know what I mean? The longings we have are real, but they're meant to be satisfied by one person, first and foremost. The longing for a spouse is just but an echo of our longing for Jesus. And, 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 that's, that's what I've learned in marriage is, is I even had going into marriage a, a greater longing to, to be known and loved by a singular person than I did Jesus himself. And Jesus is doing a good work in me um, a lot through my wife, praise God. <laughs> um, but there is, there is an order to things, right? And even like the, the financial provision, like we want to be provided for, we want to be cared for, we want to be looked after, that comes from Jesus, from our Lord, our Savior. 
maybe it's, um, maybe it's not that kind of provision. Maybe it's just um, coming from a place of comparison. You're getting distracted by comparison. I'm starting to think of things that we get distracted by. Um, with uh, like your job, um, you're, if you're in a job that feels very unfulfilling, right? And you don't feel like you're being recognized. You don't feel like there's much of a meaning to it. You, it's, you go to work and you're, you're not happy. You're not experiencing joy. And you're, you're, you're looking at what other jobs are, what other things are, but you're not looking at where the Lord's placed you, what he's already given you, what he's already provided for you, right? I'm not saying it's not good to like think about other jobs and stuff, but if we seek the Lord and where we are at present, there might be something that we're missing that he already has for us there, right? Like he might be trying to teach you. He might be trying to train you up in a way, build your character and, and, and teach you a, a, a grit or a new skill or he's waiting, he's holding you there so that you can meet somebody to change their life, to share Jesus with them. You don't know. The only thing we know is what the Lord has given us and who he is and that's enough. And that's enough, and that's a good thing. You know, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to come out here and shame or anything. I'm just trying to be like, look, identify the ways that we get distracted and our eyes come off of Jesus and what he's trying to teach us, what he's trying to grow us in, what he's trying to mature us in. Let's talk about substances real quick. About drinking, about smoking, about, you know, any other kind of form of escapism right? You're feeling sad. And, and so, you know, one thing that makes you happy going and getting a drink, two or three drinks, really, and then you really start to feel happy, right? But you're training your body to seek happiness in a drink versus the one who has eternal happiness and joy, right? And, and it, it might be appealing and it might be easier to go have a drink instead of get on your knees and pray, but that's not where the Lord is. That's not what he's, he's trying to teach us. Because if, if in this moment where I'm sad, you know, and I can go drink, that's not going to help when I hit something really hard. That's not going to satisfy when I hit something really hard. But if I have the practice of going to the, to, 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 to the Lord in the foot of the cross when I'm in need, when I'm hurt, when I don't know what to do with my mind, will, and emotions, and they're just running rampant, I bring him to Jesus. Yeah. Worship team, you can uh, start to make your way up here. As I do, I'm going I'm to shift a little bit. So that's, that's something that we can learn, right? Just by reading and thinking about how does the scripture apply to my life, to the people around me, right? Right there, like, I, you know what, I, I'd be willing to wager right now if I say, what's distracting you from the Lord? There's something rising up in you. It's that feeling you don't want to feel. It's maybe that thought you don't want to think or that thing you don't want to let go of. There is something. There is always something more that we can let go of to, to lay at the foot of the cross and, and be made a little bit more like Jesus. But let's look at what Jesus was trying to teach them, right? Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What are the little lies that 
you've come to, to accept or adopt or to, to change the real heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father for you. Um, I, th- I remember hearing um, this growing up. God's got great plans for you, right? And, and, and it, was, it was so strong that like, like, oh, you know, God's, God's equipped you. He's got great plans for you, right? And, and, and that's good and well, but, but as I was growing up, that's not, that's not really what I heard. That's what they were saying. Instead, what I heard is you need to go do things and achieve greatness. And if you don't, you missed it. Your disappointment, or maybe God doesn't love you, right? That was a lie. That was yeast worked into the dough of my belief of Jesus. That goes along with workspace faith, right? Kyle, I love you, bro. And we have been tearing that down. We have been working that out of you. And it's so sneaky. That's what we found, right? It's sneaky. It, 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 it crawls back in in just new ways that we didn't even know that that was, that was still there. There's a little bit of that yeast there, right? And even though it might take a long time for us to get it out, we'll know that when it's finally gone, it was a deep clean and that it's all gone and that we are healed and that we are seeing Jesus in the right way. Um, for those in school, kind of going back to that achievement thing, Whew, man, I love my parents, but they were very clear that I had to go to college, right? And so I went to Grand Valley. I got the easiest degree you could get, psychology. No, no minor, no nothing. I took gymnastics and rock climbing, and I was like, yeah, I'm spending a ton of money for this, you know? C's get degrees, or at least I got B's, so that's good enough. I don't really need to try. My parents' heart was good, and I'm not knocking on going to college. It allowed me to, to, to kind of be where I am today in certain respects. But this idea of achievement was still there, was still, and, 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 and if I didn't do good, there was still that just utter shame. You know, I remember being, you know, being a kid, and you, you, you know, well, I mean, if you're like me, you got one of those bad scores on your report card, you know, you get like that D or whatever, and you got to go like bring it to your parents because you opened it and looked at it before you showed your parents, you know what I mean? Like that shame, like if we mess up, if we fail, if we don't do good, Jesus isn't looking at us in shame. He's saying, bring it to me. Let's look at, a, let's look at this. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's grow in this. Let's do, let's do better. I'm with you. How, like, let me teach you. Let me come and do homework with you so we can, we can do it together so you can get this instilled in you, right? And that kind of goes along with like this workspace faith, this, uh, this, this achievement with this uh, just mantra we have of independence in our culture, of being independent, being self-sufficient. Let me tell you, being self-sufficient is one of the farthest things from being in the body of Christ. All right? I'm worried about finances and having enough to provide for my family. When I have a host of family uh, uh, believers in the body of Christ 
that would go above and beyond to make sure my needs are met. Right? I should not worry. I should not really, like, I should seek to be a contributing member to society and, and work, right? But you don't have to be alone. In fact, I think independence and being alone is exactly what the enemy wants from us. Last night, I, I read a post on Facebook. I, like, never go on Facebook, right? Not, social media is not really a me thing. But there was, there was a post by uh, somebody I went to school with in high school. And, and he came out of the, uh, as gay 10, 10 years ago. But at that point when I knew him, he's like, yes, I recognize that I'm, I'm gay, but it's not within scripture. And, and he posted, right? And I was knowing the month, you know, I, want, I, was, I was curious. And so I started to read his post. He doesn't hold that view anymore. But now he, he as I was reading, my heart was breaking as I read this post. Because like any good lie, it's 90, 80% truth, right? Like it's close to truth, but it's not. It's twisted, it's wrong. It can hide and use the same language, but it doesn't say the same thing. And that right now, along with abortion is like such, one of the things that have worked its way in the yeast that's twisted and we need to, as believers, be prepared, ready, and, and able to see what the Lord is trying to teach us is real bread and not real bread, right? What is, part, what, what is in His will for us? What is, what is in Him that wants to get into us and what is not? And so we're going to move into a time of worship and prayer. And I, I want you to, to take a moment, listen think about the scripture let it wash over you i was talking to pastor matt and there was this this thought that kept coming to mind as i was reading this and it was to and, and, and it was i think it was the holy spirit telling me like rest in this scripture until the oil bleeds from the page sit here and listen until it's bleeding out into you and so that's what i want us to do i don't want us to like keep listening to me. I want us to come to the foot of the cross. I want us to sit and listen and be like, Jesus, what is it that has, has, has infiltrated and changed the way I'm seeing you, that I'm thinking about you, that I can know you and seek you and love you better. I can be loved by you more. When we pray, Lord, increase our capacity to love you, it's, it's, it's changes so that we're more receptive, that we can see you rightly, that we can see ourselves rightly, that we can be postured in the right way to be an open and wide vessel. And that's all just becoming more like Jesus. I love the song where the like, Holy Spirit come and rest on Jesus Christ in me. Right? We're, we're, we're expanding that. We're growing that. We're becoming more and more like Him. So what are the basic problems that you're becoming preoccupied with? that are stealing away your focus from the real problems that God is trying to show you, trying to teach you about. So if we could, I'm gonna start praying. And Lord, I pray that you, um, Holy Spirit, come and rest, come and illuminate. Come and change 
strum the inner chords of our heart and our being and bring them in tune to you, Jesus. May we be brought up and lost into you. Father, like I prayed earlier today, may, the, may you come in like a rushing river on the riverbanks and erode away the, 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 the sides of the river to make it wider. And God, if there's anything that's contaminated this, contaminated us, Jesus, continue to make us pure. Continue to, to, to elevate our minds, to give us your mind, the mind of Christ. Bring our hearts higher. Bring our, our emotions, our longings in tune with you, Father, as we seek you, as we seek to be brought into you. So God, I pray that as, as we sing, as we worship, we, as we minister to you, that you speak to us. God, we're listening. We're listening with all of us, all, all, all of our hearts, all of our beings in this moment. We're saying, Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we thank you. We rest in your presence. We ask for your joy. I encourage you as well if just like the disciples um, needed to change in order to receive just like when I read scripture and I gloss over it it's not the scripture that's wrong it's not the Holy Spirit that's wrong it's how I've been approaching and doing this that's, that's, that can be changed that can be worked on and so I encourage you, do something new tonight. Posture yourself new. That might be coming up to the front. That might be going to the back. That might be standing up. That might be raising your hands. That might be singing a lot louder. Wave your hands around like you don't care. Whatever it is. When we move, Pastor Adrienne said this, Holy Spirit loves to come alongside something that's already in movement. You have the beautiful opportunity to take part. Also, none of us here care. Like, come on, we ain't judging nobody here. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we love you. Amen.